Welcome to another inspirational podcast from Abundant Life Church, where we believe that God is a good God. He loves you and he wants to bless you. Now join us as we dive into today's message. I just got to get my rhythm in stride for a moment. I'm recalibrating right now. A lot's going on. I got a lot I want to share with you. I got limited time because we only got three Sundays left in the year. Um, So I think we're just going to pull a double today, a double header today. We'll go for a six-hour service because there's so much I want to tell you about. Don't worry about those last-minute Christmas gifts. That's why there's Prime. Um, I'm just kidding with you. But I am so excited about next week, Christmas Eve, the morning. And then at nighttime, we'll be back for our our communion service, our kids' choir. It's going to be awesome. Uh, Just a wonderful, we've got a wonderful Christmas Eve prepared uh, for the church family. And, and, And here's the thing. You are commissioned, by the way. We heard an incredible message um, this past Wednesday night uh, about being commissioned, the Great Commission. Uh, Whether you were in that service or not, we're commissioned this week. Go and invite somebody. Bring them to church. Next week's going to be a powerful time. And and I'll tell you this, along with the presentation, the Lord's given a word for next Christmas Eve morning. Can't wait to share it with you. But I'm believing that next Sunday there's going to be some real supernatural breakthroughs that are going to be taking place within that service. I've been really praying about it. Um, So I can't wait for that. And then, of course, you know, I'm getting all the announcements out of the way. Uh, I know they've already been given them, but here's the thing. I find that you can't share them enough because someone's going to say, what date was that again? What time was that again? You can't ever hear it enough. And so as the pastor, I am going to take this moment right now and put great emphasis that next week is Christmas Eve. Followed after that, we have New Year's Eve. We have our 10 a.m. service and then word of the Lord at 6 p.m. Somebody say 6 p.m. And I'm telling you, the Lord has got a powerful word as we come together for that service. And then, of course, one of my favorite things that we get to do is we get to present our first fruit offering, declaring the mighty works of the Lord as we go into 2024. And so I hope that you've been praying and preparing yourself. Uh, Last week, by the way, I thought was one of the most unique and coolest services that, 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 that I've been a part of. Um, we were talking about the cheerful giver, and you last week, we ministered to the body, and we gave to one another, and we strengthened the body last week. And I'll tell you, the, the testimonies that have come in from last Sunday about how you gave and, and, and sowed into the good ground, I love what Acts talks about, how the church was strengthened when they ministered to the needs of one another. And I believe that last week it was just so spontaneous in seeing that take place, and, and, and it was a beautiful time together. Um, but here we are, Sunday morning. It's December 17th. My sister turned 40 today. Make sure that you let her know. Happy birthday. I can say the age. She's my sister. Text her, love her, <laughs> let her know. Way to cross the halfway mark. No, I'm kidding. She's my sister. I can do it. You know how you know how many things she's done to me over the years. She might not be here physically in the present, but I can say what I want to say because I'm her brother and I love her. But I'm celebrating her, and in, in all sincerity, I'm celebrating her, and uh, I'm thankful to have such a an, an awesome sister. And and uh, she'll be home here for the for the holidays and Christmas and New Year's, so some of y'all get to see her. But. Um, what I wanted to talk to you about this morning, the Lord dropped a line of text into my heart. Um, I was actually reading something else, and in the middle of 
me reading one passage, the Lord brought me uh, to another passage, and it's one of those things that um, sometimes when you, when, when you read stories over and over and over, it's pretty easy to um, sum up the outcome of that story based upon traditions, how we've been taught it, how we've been shared it, how it's been preached, and the Lord brought me to Matthew 2, and I want you to take a look at that this morning. We're going to look at Matthew 2. We're going to look at Mark uh, chapter 14, um, and we're also going to look at Matthew chapter 6, if you want to write those scriptures down. Uh, my aim this morning is really just to share with you a little bit of the Christmas story. And while I understand that, that this is the time of year where a lot of these stories come out and we talk about them, I, I myself uh, love to reread these stories because I believe there's always an angle that we have never discovered or that we haven't seen. I say this all the time, is that the fact that, is that we can't read the Bible as if the Bible has only one camera lens on it. And I think sometimes we do that and we lose the significance of what the Lord wants to show us. And it's almost as if the Bible has got multiple cameras all peeking in and all we wanna do is we just, we, we, we wanna look at different angles of the story. And in Matthew 2, it's a beautiful story, but really, as I begin to dive into it, there was a greater significance that the Lord began to reveal to my heart, and it's the story of the wise men seeking to worship Jesus. And so I want to read a couple lines of text, and I just want to talk through the story a little bit, and I want to share with you what the Lord began to show me uh, in, in this passage. And so the Bible says in, in Matthew chapter 2, starting in uh, verse 1, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star. I want you to help me out real quick this morning. Say his star. Take a note of that as we continue to read this. And so he says, for we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Verse 7 says this, Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them, from, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him as well. Verse 9 says, When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, when they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him, and when they had opened their treasures, they presented him Gifts, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. 
And while I understand that that's a lot of text to read, I wanted to share the story because throughout the story, there's really some interesting things that we begin to, to, to discover. And as we talk through this, uh, the thing that the Lord brought me to was in verse uh, 11, it says, when they fell down and worshipped him, they opened their treasures to him. And I just wanted to give this as a title line today, and we're going to talk about a couple of different things, but I put this down, opened treasures. Opened treasures. Matthew's gospel, chapter 6, verse 21, Jesus says this, do not store up for yourself on earth treasures, for it will collect rust and moth. In fact, thieves can break in and steal those things. But he says, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where it cannot collect rust and moth. And and there's no thieves that are there to to be able to steal those treasures. And he concludes by saying, for where your treasure is, is where your heart will also be. And I believe that this is such a beautiful story that we read here, talking about the wise men and the fact that they opened their treasures... And they opened their treasures because their heart, for such a long period of time, longed to be for the king of the Jews. That's what it says in the opening passage, or the opening part of this passage, that they longed to worship the king of the Jews. Now, we were ministering and singing and worshiping it this morning, but I want to ask you this, is the treasure that is not in your hand but first in your heart, is it one that is to be set before the king? They opened their treasures. And out of their treasures, they begin to worship, as the Bible says, with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, we're going to talk a little bit more about that in a moment, but I want to go to the opening portion of this passage because it's this, the, the story is really fascinating. Because the Bible, it says this, it says, behold, wise men came from the east. Now, according to our traditions, we think of it as they are three kings. But that's inaccurate. These were not kings that came to worship Jesus. These were wise men. Where we get the idea that kings in this story worship Jesus comes out of Psalm 72 that says, and all the kings will bow down and worship him. That is truth. But what is being noted here is not kings, but wise men. These were, these were wise men, and, and you have to really understand what a wise man is to know what is going on in this passage. The wise men were astrologers that studied the stars. In fact, the wise men were actually ambassadors on behalf of the king that went forth to find the Christ where the star would point to him. And so what these wise men, they're also known as magi, short for magician, these, these wise men, they, they followed this religion called Zoroaster, excuse me, it's going to be really hard for me to say, I'm going to actually, I wrote it down, so I'm going to read it, but it's Zoro, uh, Zoroastrianism, there's the word, Zoroastrianism. Zoroastrianism is the study of the stars differentiating good from evil. Now, here's where the story gets much deeper. Why would they have an understanding of who Jesus was, a child to be born, a king that would rule over the Jews? This religion actually came from an individual by the name of Zoroaster. Zoroaster was a student of the prophet Daniel in the Old Testament. 
Daniel, in chapter 7, says this. He says, I was watching in the night vision. That phrase of word, the night vision, was, as I was praying and looking up at the stars, behold, one like the Son of Man came coming in on the clouds of heaven. He came to Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and kingdom that all the people and nations and languages should serve him. Daniel gives this prophetic word through this vision. In Daniel, if you understand an Old Testament, Daniel served the Persian Empire. He was the lead guy that spoke on behalf of the king through the interpretations and the visions, and he had such favor because he served the Lord. But there were other people in the kingdom that came up, so it wasn't foreign for them to hear this prophecy. So they believed because of the position of Daniel that there was going to be a coming king, a Messiah, who would have all dominion, whose kingdom would know no end. And so here we are thousands of years later, and we have these wise men, which the word wise men, by the way, I'm giving you some historical context. The word wise men is because the god of the religion they served, his name was Mazda, and the word Mazda means god of wisdom. So they were given this, this term, this phrasing, wise men, because they sought out wisdom. And so here they are, and they are traveling at this point almost two years from the moment that they see this star in the sky. Think about that. For two years, they pursued Jesus. What is your pursuit worth? What is your pursuit worth to be at the feet of the king? you got to think about this. They traveled somewhat 7,000 miles. There was not three of them. And we've talked about this and shared this truth. There was not three of them. In fact, if I can give you some real interesting historical context, these, these wise men were not of one nation. In fact, history records it that there's over 13 kingdoms that sent wise men ambassadors to come together to search for Jesus. Why is that so important? Because it's the only time in history that the world was unified for one cause. Kingdoms unified to kneel down at the king. It's the only time that they were ever in alignment. And so here they are and they show up at the doorstep of Herod. And so when the Bible says that Herod was troubled, you better believe he was troubled. Because every kingdom in the world was in attendance at his door. And it was either get on board with what was going on or there is going to be an, 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 an overthrow that's going to take place. So he was panicking. But there wasn't three wise men. In fact, history records that it would have been three to five ambassadors per kingdom, over 13 kingdoms, but they would travel in caravans. It's actually noted that there was almost 800 people in attendance. Imagine 800 people showing up at your doorstep asking Where's the king of the Jews? There, there's a historian who's also an astronomer. His name is Vespian. And, uh, and, and he was alive during the time that Jesus was born. He goes on to record the fact that when, uh, when Jesus was born, that in the sky, they could see all of the planets shining at its brightest. 
all the planets shining, this is Saturn, this is Pluto, this is Mars, all of the planets were shining. Not only that, they were in complete alignment. Now, if you know anything about planets, they're all on different orbits, so for them to be completely aligned, that in and of itself is a supernatural act of God. You say, Pastor, why are you saying this? Because all of heaven aligned, all of earth aligned to be pointed at the king. There is something about this story that's not a baby came to earth and he was going to grow up and be the savior of the world. It was the fact that the stage was set all of heaven, all of earth, with great anticipation, came together as one to worship the king. What is it worth when we come together on a Sunday as one to worship the king? I'll tell you what happens. What we saw this morning, the supernatural touch from the Lord where all of a sudden people that are sick in their body receive a healing. People that have been struggling are set free. People that are far from God encounter the goodness of God, the love of God, the salvation that only comes in Him. What is it worth when we align as one? It's pursuing peace and holiness so that the King can be magnified and His glory can be revealed. What is that worth? So these kings, they come together and they show up at Herod's doorstep, these, these wise men, excuse me, they show up at, at, at Herod's doorstep, and he's troubled by this. And so what does he do? <laughs> this is interesting. He goes and he gets the scribes and Pharisees, says, hey, we need to get a little more information about what's going on. Now, I want you to get this picture here. These wise men, they show up saying, where is the king of the Jews that we might worship him? Herod was about the only one in this entire story that had no clue what was going on. So he needed information. So who does he call in? The scribes and the Pharisees. Who were the only ones to never recognize who the Christ was? The scribes and the Pharisees. He was trying to gain knowledge about a situation, whereas the wise men had revelation about the situation. Some of us were trying to gain knowledge, and it's not knowledge that the Lord needs you to have right now. It's a revelation of who he is who the Christ is, who the king is. They already knew that Jesus was born. They go on and the scribes and Pharisees say that there is supposed to be one who is going to be born in Bethlehem. Well, that prophetic word had already been fulfilled because we were two years later from Jesus' birth. The wise men did not show up, by the way, at the manger. They were not in attendance with the shepherds. This is two years after Jesus was born, and they show up to worship the king. That prophecy had already been fulfilled. Now, think about this for a second. It says that they showed up in Jerusalem because they saw the star. Now, if I can give you this as a thought, wherever Jesus was is where the star was. Is that correct? The star is always aligned with the Savior. The star was the sign that aligned to the Savior. They showed up to Jerusalem. This is fascinating. But Jesus was not in Bethlehem. Herod says, I just heard about this, 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 this word that said that Jesus is in Bethlehem. Why don't you go and check it out? But they didn't go to Bethlehem. You know why? Because they knew the star was the sign that aligned with the Savior. So where would Jesus have been if they showed up at Jerusalem? The coming king was underneath Herod's nose the entire time, and they didn't even recognize it. 
Why is this so important? Because the sign always is in alignment with the king. The sign, which is the star, is in alignment with the savior. Jesus says this to the Pharisees. I'm not going to give you any sign but that of Jonah. Jonah got far away from God, sinned, got swallowed up by a whale, died in the, whale, in the whale's belly. The whale throws him up, comes back to life, and it's indicative of the resurrection. He's in the, the belly of the whale for three days. He gets thrown up out of the belly of the whale, and life comes back to him, and he starts serving and preaching Jesus. The sign that aligns you with Jesus is that of repentance. The sign that always puts you in alignment with the Lord is when you stop turning to the things of this world and you turn to the things of God. The sign will always align you with the King. Some of you are looking for signs and saying, Lord, where are you? He's right here. Where are you? Have you turned from him? Have we allowed the, the, the glamour of the season to so take over our hearts that we can no longer see Jesus in the center point of, 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 of what we're celebrating? I shared with you this last week because I just thought it was super cool, but there's this, this post of the wreath, and on one side is the Christmas wreath, on the other side is the crown of thorns, and, and one says the season and the other says the reason. He is the reason. He is the center point. And my God, I don't want anything to take me out of alignment with the king. So you got to understand is that the star was the sign for the wise men that wasn't the sign for the shepherds. The sign for the shepherds according to the book of Luke was and you shall find him wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. The star was not what the Lord used for the shepherds. The manger and the swaddling clothes were. The reason for that is the Lord is not going to use a language that you don't understand to lead you to him. Oftentimes, he will use a language that you can understand because before you experience him supernaturally, he wants you to know him relationally. So he uses a manger in swaddling clothes that's the language of the shepherds to be a sign for them to know that the coming king was here. He used a star, which the wise men understood as the language to draw them to where Jesus was as a young child. The Lord will always use a language that you can understand to invite you into an encounter, into a relationship with him. Sometimes we can overcomplicate who God is. And the Lord's saying, I'm just trying to talk to you. But we drive around and we look for, for billboards and these outrageous things wondering, is this God? Is that God? And God is saying, I'm the small, still voice inside of you. A couple years back, we traveled to Columbia. And while we were over there ministering, um, uh, I remember we were at this hotel. And, and, uh, and the person that was at, at the counter, I was, I was trying to talk to them in Spanish because we're in Colombia. They speak Spanish. And so, I, you know, I, I learned a little bit of Spanish. And so I'm fighting to get all my words out, my broken, you know, Espanol. It's not very good. It's very Spanglishy. It's not good. And the, and, and the lady on the other side of the desk is just laughing at me. And finally she says, sir, I speak English. <laughs> it's like, I'm struggling this whole time. You couldn't have just tell me that, that you just speak English? The Lord's not 
wanting you to try and struggle to figure out what his word says. He's speaking a language that, that, it, that, that is specific to you for you to understand so that you can know him because he wants to know you relationally first and foremost. He'll always use a sign that speaks to who you are, where you are. I knew my days in youth had lifted because I could no longer speak the language that was relevant. Even now I'm backtracking and I'm like, what did we used to say? Why did we even say those things? This is ridiculous. And so here we have these wise men and they understood that the star was going to lead them to the king. And so Herod says, go to Bethlehem. They don't go to Bethlehem. Instead, they press on to follow the star. And the Bible picks up and it says that the star leads them right to where the child, the young child was. And the Bible says in verse 10, when they saw the star, that they, that they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Now, this exceedingly great joy is not a happy feeling. It's not the sense of, I, I feel so joyful and I'm happy. And the, the, the phrasing exceedingly great joy means to burst through with expectation. Because for over two years, they had been searching for the coming king to worship him. And when they got to his doorstep, they were bursting with great expectation because they knew they were about to step into the presence of the almighty God. There is something about when I come, whether it's on a, on a Sunday morning or, or when we worship on a Wednesday night or even just me getting up in the morning that I've got exceedingly great joy because I've got great anticipation of what the Lord is going to do. And I put emphasis on this because some of you have lost your expectation, but I'm here to tell you that God is a good God, that God loves you, his blessings still stand, and when you can begin to stir up that heart of gratitude, that heart of joy, that heart of expectation, and know that he is still working all things together for you. Our year is not done yet. There is three weeks left, two and a half weeks left, whatever the time frame is, God can still do the greatest miracles. Some of y'all are just checking out and waiting to get to 2024. You don't have to. The greatest gift is in the room right now. He's in the room with us. I've got expectation. And they stepped through the door exceedingly great joy because they knew that they were in the presence of the king. Now look at this. I just want to give you a couple of thoughts on this. It says that they fell down and they worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures they presented gifts to him gold frankincense and myrrh the gold that they gave to him spoke to Jesus's royalty the myrrh that they gave to him spoke to his deity myrrh was actually the oils the incense that was burned in the holy place and when the Bible talks about the sweet aroma that the Lord begins to take in from their worship, that is the, 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 the frankincense that, that, they would, that they would light and that would be burning in worship. So they give him gifts that speak to his royalty, to his deity, and the myrrh was the anointing oil that would later on be used after his body laid dead, beaten, disfigured. It was the oil that they put on him as they, as they prepared him to go into the tomb. It spoke to his humanity that he was the son of man who gave his life. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. His royalty, his deity, his humanity. They understood 
that this wasn't just a child. They understood that this wasn't just a kid. They understood. They had a prophetic revelation that this was the Christ, the son of the living God who had come to be the savior of the world. And out of their opened treasures, they gave him their best. Mark's gospel chapter 14, there's a story there about a woman named Mary, Lazarus's sister. We know this story. She comes into the room with an alabaster box and she breaks it open. And out of this, this box, this flask that's broken, she takes this expensive perfume and she begins to anoint Jesus, which is significant of his, of his burial. It was going to be significant of what was to come. But the Bible says that it was a costly, a costly fragrant oil that she broke and then poured out. Let me tell you something, that your true worship is extended in your giving. Hear me on this. True worship is when you take the treasures that's most precious to you and you lay it down before the king. And a true treasure, a true gift will always cost you something. A true treasure means you're going to have to break open what's precious to take it out. A true treasure means you're going to have to pour out your best and lay it down at the feet of Jesus. See, here's the thing. The wise men gave to a child who could not give them back anything in that moment. Some of us, we come before the Lord with worship in hopes that he's going to give us something back. Can you just worship him for who he is first? He'll bless you. He'll prosper you. He'll increase you. But can you come to the king and just give him an open treasure because he is Lord over all. Mary takes this thing, this, this, this alabaster box, and she, she breaks it. She pours it out. Judas says, do you know how expensive that is? Why would you be wasting that? We could take it and sell it for three times the amount. So you got to be careful of the people that are around you because it'll trick you into thinking that you're wasting your worship. They'll get you to sell out on your worship. I'll tell you what, I'm not wasting my worship. Because I know the king that I serve. I know the God in heaven who changed my life. Who turned me around. I know the God in heaven who gave it all so that I could have it all. I know the God in heaven who turns my mourning into dancing. I know the God of heaven that wipes the tears from my eyes and, and fills me with hope and new life in him because he's good. Oh, I'm not wasting my worship. I'm, you're not wasting your When we come into this, this isn't about having a high moment where it's all loud and exciting. It's about the fact that we're pouring out our hearts, that we're taking our open treasures when we're giving of ourselves, when we're giving of our worship, when we're giving of our offering. Listen, when we come up on New Year's Eve night and we set before the Lord our first fruit offering, I'm coming with open treasures to lay before the Lord, to honor Him, to worship Him, because I know that the best days are the ones that are ahead. I'm speaking that over you this season, and as we're getting ready to go into the new year, your best days are the ones that are ahead. I want to close with just this last thought here, because I think this is so powerful, because the Bible says this. It says, they fell down, 
They worshipped him, and when they opened their treasures and they presented the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, verse 12, if we can put this on the screen, I want you to see this. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Why is that so important? Because when they had an encounter with the king, and when they opened their treasures before him, now they had a divine intervention, and it caused them to move in a different direction. When you encounter the king, your life is not going to go back to where it used to go or what it used to be. When you have an encounter with Jesus and you lay your open treasures before him, he will redirect your course for all future to come. He will set you on a new path. For the Lord says in the word of God that his word, it's the lamp to the feet, it's a light to the path. The, the, the Lord is establishing your footsteps to be ones that are blessed, to be ones that are prosperous, to be ones that are victorious. And the moment when these wise men set before their best before the Lord, the Lord encountered him and said, you're not going back that way anymore. One encounter with the king put them in a new direction. Why? Because when they got in alignment and out of their worship opened their best, God got involved and said, now, here's the way you need to go. Some of you have been wandering this season, and I'm here to tell you when you get in alignment with the Lord, you open up your heart, you allow that to be the first treasure that you set before him. God will redirect your path. I don't know what this season has looked like for you so far. I heard this at Christmas time. For those that have it going good, it's really good. And those that feeling bad, it's really bad. Something about the season that magnifies the state that you're in. But I believe this, it doesn't have to be bad. It doesn't have to be bad. God's good. God loves you. And one encounter with the king, as you open up your heart to him, he will autocorrect your course. He will set you on track so that you can live and have the abundant life that comes through him and him alone. But it's through him and him alone. There is no other way. This is not a story about a baby, even though we know that he was a baby at one point. This is a story that allows us to understand that God did so love the world, he gave his son so that we could have a new life in him. We trust that what you heard today has encouraged you to live the abundant life. For more information about our ministry, please visit us on our website, AbundantLife.tv, or follow us on Instagram at AbundantLife underscore TV and Facebook at Come to Life. And remember, God is a good God. He loves you and he wants to bless you.